Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. So I wanted to tell you about this book I've been reading called Dopamine Nation, written by Anna Lemke, MD, who's actually the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine, and she's also the program director for the Stanford Addiction Medicine Fellowship and chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic. So you can understand that she is definitely an expert when it comes to talking about dopamine in relation to addiction. Even though it's not specifically or exclusively about sugar, this book blew my mind. Literally, I couldn't put it down. And I wanted to share some of the insights that I got when I was reading it, because quite honestly, I think we should be learning this stuff at primary school. Why doesn't anyone teach us this stuff about dopamine? I mean, I don't think it should be reserved for medical school. We need to teach our kids about how dopamine works and about our modern society that seems like it's hooked on dopamine. But just before, if this is your first time here, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for listening to this podcast. And it would really help to get the word out about sugar if you could rate and review this podcast. Just scroll down and hit the stars to rate this podcast and tap on write a review to write your review. The way that it works is that the more ratings and reviews this podcast gets, the more the algorithm shares it with other people and allows new people to discover not just this podcast, but their own life after sugar. And the more people that hear the message about sugar, the more people we can help. So thank you for listening to this podcast and rating it and writing your review. All right, so even though I'm a literature teacher, I'm not going to give you a sort of a, an intellectual book report. I'm going to jump around to different parts of the book and tell you about the bits that really spoke to me and that, directly or not, have a link with sugar. So you may have learnt this at school or you may already know what dopamine is, but before I started studying sugar, I had no idea what dopamine was. So what Anna explains in her book is that the main functional cells of the brain are called neurons and they communicate with each other at synapses via electrical signals and neurotransmitters. And I have to say, I do remember this from my biology classes at high school. She says that neurotransmitters are like baseballs. The pitcher is the presynaptic neuron and the catcher is the postsynaptic neuron. And the space between pitcher and catcher is the synaptic cleft. 
And she continues the analogy that just as the ball is thrown between pitcher and catcher, neurotransmitters bridge the distance between neurons, which are the chemical messengers regulating electric signals in the brain. Dopamine isn't the only important neurotransmitter, but that's the one she focuses on in her book. And actually, dopamine was first identified as a neurotransmitter in the human brain in 1957, and it's one of the neurotransmitters, but not the only one, that's involved in reward processing. In fact, neuroscientists say that dopamine may play a bigger role in the motivation to get a reward than the pleasure of the reward itself. In other words, it's the wanting more than the liking of the thing. For example, she says that mice, who are genetically engineered to be unable to make dopamine, will not seek out food and will starve to death even when food is placed just inches from their mouth. Yet if food is put directly into their mouth, they will chew and eat the food and seem to enjoy it. So whatever the source of the motivation and pleasure, dopamine is used to measure the addictive potential of any behavior or drug. And that can include sugar. And the more dopamine a drug releases in the brain's reward pathway, which is a brain circuit that links the ventral tegmental area, the nucleus accumbens, and the prefrontal cortex, and you realize I'm quoting here, right? (laughs) The faster it releases dopamine, and the more addictive the drug. And from what I understand from Anna's book, that drug doesn't have to be crack cocaine or any other type of hard drug. It can be any other substance, like sugar, or a behavior like, say, scrolling on social media. And it's not that the substances themselves contain dopamine. Rather, they trigger the release of dopamine in our brain's reward pathway. And that trigger can be pretty much anything. Chocolate, Sex, nicotine, cocaine, pornography, amphetamines, shopping, gambling, gaming, social media. We're all different and our triggers can be different. How Dr. Lemke explains it in her book is to have us imagine that our brains contain a balance, like a scale with a fulcrum in the centre. What she says is that when nothing is on the balance, it's level with the ground. And when we experience pleasure, from whatever source, dopamine is released in our reward pathway in the brain and the balance tips to the side of the pleasure. The more our balance tips and the faster it tips, the more pleasure we feel. So when that pleasure-pain balance is tipped toward pleasure powerful self-regulating mechanisms kick into action to bring it level again. And this is called self-regulating, and these self-regulating mechanisms do not require conscious thought or an act of will. They just happen, she says, like a reflex. This pleasure-pain balance isn't the only one in the body. In fact, many physiological processes in the body are governed by similar self-regulating systems, 
such as how colour is perceived. And it certainly doesn't mean that pleasure is bad. In fact, it's a necessary part of the human experience. And Dr. Lemke says in her book that it's natural to want to recreate good feelings or try not to let them fade away. You know, like reaching out for a second cookie or potato chip or clicking the link for another round of video games. She says the simple solution is to keep eating or playing or watching or reading. But, she says, there's a problem with that. And that problem is called tolerance. What she explains is that with repeated exposure to the same or similar pleasure stimulus, the initial deviation to the side of pleasure gets weaker and shorter and the after response to the side of pain gets stronger and longer, which is a process scientists call neuroadaptation. And we end up needing more of our drug of choice to get the same effect. So when you need more of a substance to feel pleasure or experience less pleasure at a given dose, this is called tolerance. And tolerance, says Dr. Lemke, is an important factor in the development of addiction. Because with prolonged heavy drug use, and again, it doesn't have to be hard drugs, the drug can be sugar and processed foods. Well, The more we use these substances, the more the pleasure-pain balance eventually gets weighted to the side of pain and our hedonic or pleasure set point changes as our capacity to experience pleasure goes down and our vulnerability to pain goes up. Dr. Lemke gives the example of when she started seeing more patients coming into the clinic on high-dose, long-term opioid therapy, in other words, patients taking oxycontin, vicodin, morphine, fentanyl, for chronic pain. And she says that despite prolonged and high-dose opioid medications, their pain had only gotten worse over time. Why? Because exposure to opioids had caused their brain to reset its pleasure-pain balance to the side of pain. Now their original pain was worse and they had new pain in parts of their body that used to be pain-free. And this apparently is a common phenomenon with these types of pain medications. Can the same thing happen with sugar? Well, you tell me. As I was reading this book, I thought of all those years that I had to have more and more and more sugar to get the same type of high. And now that I think back, well, sugar was my drug. So as I said before, not all substances are triggers for addiction. And actually not all brains are wired for addiction either. Some people are just not susceptible or less susceptible to triggers that would send others off on a really slippery slope. We're all different and our triggers are different. And just because I had a problem with sugar and you may have a problem with sugar and may be exhibiting addictive behaviours, that doesn't mean necessarily that it's sugar that's addictive. Although there's some debate about that that I mention in episode 
26 of the Life After Sugar podcast. I just want to take a little break to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources on how to cut sugar and really feel free from the hold it has on you and also look after your gut health and make your intermittent fasting lifestyle easy and natural and get rid of those cravings that are getting in the way, then head on over to aftersugarclub.com and download my five tips for getting rid of cravings and my simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar. You can also find lots of free resources for cutting sugar on the Life After Sugar Facebook page, on TikTok at Netta at Life After Sugar, and you can subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, as well as my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar. That's where I post pictures of what I do, what I eat, sometimes pictures of our cat, and basically you'll see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. One example that Dr. Lemke gives in her book, Dopamine Nation, is for food addiction and weight loss surgeries such as gastric banding, gastric sleeves, and gastric bypass. These surgeries effectively create a smaller stomach and or bypass the part of the gut that absorbs calories. And the example that Dr. Lemke gives in her book is that one in four gastric bypass surgery recipients develops a new problem with alcohol addiction. And this is for many reasons. What she says in her book is that most people who are obese have an underlying food addiction which is not adequately addressed with surgery alone. And few people who undergo these surgeries, she says, get the behavioral and psychological interventions they need to help them change their eating habits. And I just want to stop here and add my opinion, which is that it's not necessarily food that's the problem, it's the type of food. In other words, processed foods. Because real foods are very rarely the cause of obesity. And I don't want to simplify the whole issue, and I'm certainly no expert in addiction like Anna Lemke is, but from what I've observed from many, many people since I've been sugar-free is that food addiction is very, very often processed food addiction and not addiction to real whole foods. And in the same way as Dr. Lemke describes how these types of weight loss surgeries alter how alcohol is metabolized, increasing the rate of the absorption, it's very possible that the same thing happens with sugar. Whether it's alcohol or sugar, it's absorbed into the bloodstream almost instantaneously, and with alcohol as a result, patients get intoxicated faster and stay intoxicated longer on less alcohol. And this is actually what I was talking about on episode 96 of the Life After Sugar podcast, the speed at which processed foods are absorbed by the body. And the vast majority of these processed foods contain either sugar 
or flour or both, or are in liquid form, which means that the absorption of the sugars happens even faster. But what does this have to do with dopamine? Well, in the book Dopamine Nation, Dr. Lemke gives all kinds of examples of the sheer ubiquity of high dopamine goods, including food, that are making us all more vulnerable to compulsive overconsumption, even when they're not meeting clinical criteria for addiction. Processed foods these days, especially in our Western cultures, are like smartphones now. They're everywhere, and they've become embedded into so many aspects of our lives that figuring out how to moderate their consumption for ourselves and our children, she says, has become a matter of urgency. And that's why I loved it in her book when she talked about the dopamine fast. If you're already an intermittent faster, you're well aware of the advantages of fasting. But did you know that there's such a thing as a dopamine fast? Because as Dr. Lemke explains, with prolonged and repeated exposure to pleasurable stimuli, including sugar and processed foods, I may add, our capacity to tolerate pain decreases and our threshold for experiencing pleasure increases. And we kind of get amnesic and forget the lessons of pleasure and pain. We know those extra cookies and ice cream and chips and dips made us put on extra weight around our hips, but we conveniently forget that in the moment. It's okay, I've done it too. We all do it. But this is one of the problems that Dr. Lemke talks about in her book. She says that human beings, the ultimate seekers, have responded too well to the challenge of pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. And as a result, we've transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance. But, she says, our brains are not evolved for this world of plenty. It's like we're drowning in dopamine. And the net effect, she says, is that we now need more reward to feel pleasure and less injury to feel pain. Which invites the question, how do we survive and thrive in this new ecosystem? Well, one answer seems to be dopamine fasting. And basically, dopamine fasting is like intermittent fasting. In other words, you stop for a certain amount of time. With food, it can be several hours. And with drugs, for example, it can be for a month. And in my case, my dopamine fast with sugar has been going on for over seven and a half years. What's the point of dopamine fasting? Well, whether it's with food or sugar or drugs or alcohol or whatever other addictive substance or behavior, most of us, says Dr. Lemke, are unable to see the full extent of the consequences of our drug use while we're still using. So high dopamine substances and behaviors cloud our ability to accurately assess cause and effect. For example, we know the donut tastes good in the moment, 
But we are less aware that eating a donut every day for a month adds five pounds to our waistline. And this is true especially when we are young, but as we age, the unintended consequences of chronic use multiply. As we get older, we kind of reach a tipping point where the downsides of our use outweigh the upsides. Dr. Lemke quotes what they say in AA, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Does that sound familiar? So the goal of a dopamine fast is that stopping the product or the behavior, even for a relatively short period of time, is essential for getting us to see true cause and effect. And that means abstinence. Dr. Lemke explains that abstinence is necessary to restore homeostasis and with it our ability to get pleasure from less potent rewards as well as to see the true cause and effect between our substance use and the way we're feeling. She says that fasting from dopamine allows sufficient time for the pain gremlins to hop off the pain-pleasure balance and for the balance to go back to the level position. How long do people need to abstain in order to experience the brain benefits of stopping? It depends. For some people, two weeks is enough. For others, four weeks is often sufficient. And for others, much, much longer. Because for some people, any trigger or reward can be potent enough to tip the balance towards pleasure and trigger that addictive response or behavior. And so sometimes trading one addiction for another, like say sweeteners for sugar, which experts call cross addiction, is counterproductive. And a lot of people think, well, if I don't have my dopamine from, let's say, sugar, where will I get it from? And that is part of the problem. Collectively, we seem to have lost the ability to take joy in ordinary pleasures. And this is also what Anna Lemke talks about in her book. This paradox that is hedonism, this pursuit of pleasure for its own sake, she says leads to anhedonia, which is the inability to enjoy pleasure of any kind. And for me personally, what I realize now is that all those processed foods that contain sugar and flour, well, I wasn't enjoying them, I was using them. Using them to feel less bad. Well, that's not the same as actually enjoying something. And what Anna Lemke says in her book is that her patients with addiction describe how they get to a point where their drug stops working for them. They get no high at all anymore. Yet, if they don't take their drug, they feel miserable. And as I said before, the drug doesn't need to be any kind of illicit drug. It can be a totally legal and cheap drug like sugar. So you might be thinking by now, well, okay, so how can I get this dopamine high in other ways than with the drug of sugar. And my answer to this, and Anna Lemke says this too, is that the whole point is not to run after a dopamine high, 
but to feel good with smaller doses of dopamine in more natural ways. For example, take a nap or go to bed early because sleep boosts dopamine. Also, get outside in the sun if possible or just sit inside in the sun. Listen to music. Take any opportunity to smile and laugh, like watching funny videos or coming to our check-in calls in the After Sugar Club. We have lots of fun there. And also, practice mindfulness through meditation, EFT tapping, deep breathing, yoga, prayer, or you can also spend a few hours doing your favorite hobby. It can be crafting or woodwork or reading or gardening, playing a sport, doing puzzles or spending family time together. And it can also be chatting with a good friend, going for a walk, sitting in silence, reading a book, breathing, eating nutritious foods that haven't been tampered with and engineered by the food industry to fire off your dopamine. Simple pleasures, real pleasures, that don't get us running after yet another dopamine high. This is what I call learning to live with lower highs. It's not the same as being bored. Boredom is like feeling unsatisfied by an activity or disinterested in it. But when you don't need to run after a dopamine high, this is freedom. This is what I talk about in life after sugar. Feeling satisfied, feeling happy inside of yourself without needing the dopamine hit from sugar. And I just want to finish today with another quote from Anna Lemke's book, Dopamine Nation. She says, I urge you to find a way to immerse yourself fully in the life that you've been given to stop running from whatever you're trying to escape and instead to stop and turn and face whatever it is. Then, she says, I dare you to walk towards it. In this way, the world may reveal itself to you as something magical and awe-inspiring that does not require escape. Instead, the world may become something worth paying attention to. So I really do recommend this book. It's a real eye-opener, whether your drug of choice is sugar or anything else. And look, I totally get how difficult it is to apply all this theory into real-life changes. I know because I've been there. And I had to make all these changes in my life after sugar all on my own. And I want to make that path easier for you. Which is why I'm inviting you to join the After Sugar Club so that you can get the step-by-step guidance you need so that it doesn't feel like a huge mountain that you have to climb. In fact, in the After Sugar Club community, you'll actually find that we have fun. Did I just say that we have fun cutting sugar? Yep, that's what sets the After Sugar Club apart. It's a freeing, joyful place 
to get all the support you need to live your healthier lifestyle without needing or missing sugar anymore. And now you can choose your path to a healthier lifestyle, either in the regular membership on a monthly basis where you get group support and 24-7 access to all the resources in the After Sugar Club for self-study, plus our community, plus our twice-monthly check-in calls. Or you can choose the After Sugar Club Premium Membership for more personal attention and customised guidance from me, Netta, guidance that's tailored to your specific needs with 12 extra personalised accountability calls that we'll schedule according to your availability and time zone so that you can attend each call. The premium membership is a more hands-on experience where you're guided through structured exercises and assignments with my personal feedback. In fact, you'll be following a proven framework that I've created that will allow you to get to true freedom from sugar. With just 12 extra calls with me, I'll be helping you make small but powerful mindset shifts to transform your relationship with sugar and comfort foods. And you'll benefit from my gentle, respectful approach that respects you and your personality and needs. The After Sugar Club is always open for you. Join us today. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the big green button Join the club. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.